Well, welcome everybody. Welcome back to um to uh Rich, which show is this again? Oh, right, Voice of Reason Radio. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> it's been about uh oh, about what five weeks I think since the last time we recorded. Uh, well... July twenty third, I think it was. <laughs> so welcome back. We are back. Thank you, folks, for the for the time off uh, more than I probably think any of you expected. I think some of you were starting to worry about us and uh, reached out to us. Thank you. You guys are very, very gracious. Um, we just, you know, we tried to put it out at the beginning of August that uh, we, we were probably going to be taking a few weeks. We just both had a lot on our plates uh, between various illnesses or family stuff or just life in general. It was kind of one of those moments where the Lord said, you're going to take a break. <laughs> So, uh, and we did. And so you guys were very, very gracious to even listen to the multitude of uh, reruns that we put up, including one week where I forgot to put one up. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I told you, plates got full. So <laughs> we're, we're so grateful to, to be back. We're so grateful you guys have, have uh, just hung in there and waited for us to get back and, and, and even bothered to, to, to listen to some of our older stuff. You guys are really awesome. We're so so blessed by each and every one of you. And uh, some of you continue to, to help contribute to the program and uh, and help us pay the bills, so to speak, for this. So thank you for doing that. Um, and we have just been so blessed by that as well. want to remind you, we are part of the Christian Podcast Community. That is a, a community of Bible-believing Christians, uh, basically part of the Striving for Eternity Ministries. Uh, and you're always going to find a great program on there. going to recommend you do that. I haven't said this in a while, so I'm hoping I'm not messing everything up. Uh, but also <laughs> remind you that we have our website, slavetothekeng.com. That is where you can find all things related to this show, to anything we write as far as blog articles, the means by which to contact us, including the weird wackadoo email, which I forgot to tell you about, I'll tell you later, uh, that whoever you are that found the website and sent me your weird theology conspiracy theory thing. Don't ever do that again. Uh, <laughs> it was a long one. Um, that was weird. Anyway, so uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm sad and you didn't share that with me. I, I love reading the weird email. I, I will forward it to you if I can find it on our, uh, in our, our ministry email. Um, it was, a, it was a bizarre one. It's, oh, here it is. This was from back or, or just a few weeks ago has to do the subject electronic sin chip in the brain. Yeah. Okay. And it is a long, like no paragraph breaks email. This actually might work partly with the stuff we were, we're going to talk about, talk about. He's talking about microwave signals for reading mind reading. Sir, don't ever email us again. Uh, but the rest of you, if you have comments, questions, concerns, snarks, uh, you are more than welcome to go to slavetothekeng.com and email us. Just don't send us emails about sin chips. That, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, if you want to support the program by doing something like getting a T-shirt, you can do that by going through our link to uh, doctrineandlife.co. You can pick up a shirt there, help promote the program. Uh, so those are the things that I think I normally say and haven't in a while. So I'm hoping I didn't forget something. So I will go to what I normally say. And how are you doing this week, Rich? <laughs> as always, better than I deserve. Amen. Um, and as you said, it's been a challenging yet interesting couple of months. Although for me, it's been an entire summer because I missed most of June with whatever it was that I had. And then 
I don't remember much about July. And then August <laughs> was somewhat of a messed up blur of all types of different things. And I'm just thankful to finally be re- reunited with my brother and Amen. do another recording. Um, I think even leading up to this week, it was kind of hit and miss there for a bit. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, the geniuses that Chris and I are, <laughs> you know, we, we, we've not... We've not done this in quite a while and haven't been able to have a discussion or, you know, kind of get back into the routine and groove of doing the podcast. And and those of you that's done it a while, you probably understand what I mean by, you know, getting that groove back going mm-hmm. and the, the flow and the timing and everything else back up. So, you know, instead of doing something easy <laughs> and, and something to kind of get us back on track, what do we do? Do we do something? No. Uh-uh. We just decided up out of nowhere, hey, let's do a show and discuss the basics of covenant theology, dispensationalism, ultra and hyper dispensationalism. We're going to just gonna start out, you know, and, and instead of learning how to swim, we're just going to dive off the Titanic out in the middle of the ice-infested waters and just go at it and hopefully find a life raft to jump up. Jump and grab hold to so but it's interesting ish um and we 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 will have to actually own this one this time we did steal from michelle and les um, michelle and amy yeah this is kind of amy when you guys hear some of the stuff we're going to mention and maybe you know about some of it this was new to us we'd we'd heard of the uh, of this particular belief system but neither of us had researched it and so amy spreeman i blame this on you she shared something that was the most bizarre um, statement I'd ever seen. And it ties directly to hyper-dispensationalism. Apparently is right down to the core of their beliefs, and I'd never heard of it. And so, yeah, I respond to it going, huh? And then Rich looks at the comment thread and goes, we need to talk about this. I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, actually, I was making a joke. Yeah. That's it. You commented about this. You want to discuss this on the next show? And obviously you took me serious, but I was actually kidding. And you came back with sure, and I took you serious. And and, and next thing you know, here we are. I'm trying to figure and this honest, thing out. <laughs> and and b- b- before that, honestly, I had never heard the term hyper-dispensationalist yeah. before. And it has got to be some of the most bizarre yeah. <laughs> beliefs. Yeah, it really that, is. I mean... I found more sanity in some of the charismatic things that we've covered than I have in this, but I'll let you continue with what you were saying. Well, yeah, I mean, so here, here's what was – I've downloaded the picture. I had to find it on my phone real quick. It is a – hold on to your hats. I'm not kidding when I read this. This is not a joke. This is an actual written statement, and it it means what it says. Amy Spreeman shared this from – I forget what other Facebook page – and that particular person who shared it said was rightly responding, saying, no, this is bad. Don't, don't believe this. Amy shared it, saying, this is bad. Don't believe this. And then I saw the comments, and people were like, no, and they're going, no, you need to believe this. Whoa. Okay. So the statement is this. Hold on. Why are you still listening to the Jesus that walked the earth? Now, that right there... Okay, you would think maybe an atheist wrote this. You would think maybe 
some sort of wackadoo leftist. No, it keeps going. Um, and my phone locked me out. There we go. It continues to say, he wasn't talking to you. The, resurrect, the resurrected Christ is talking to you through Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. So the whole statement, why are you still listening to the Jesus that walked the earth? He wasn't talking to you. The resurrected Christ is talking to you through Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Is your brain hurting? Because it made mine hurt. Okay, this, this is a statement that goes to the core that we have since learned of what's called hyper-dispensationalism. Now, Rich is going to take us through a brief description of covenant and dispensational the theology, and that's going to be kind of necessary because if you're like some of us, you've heard, you know what, to some extent, covenant covenantal theology is, you know to an extent what dispensational theology is, but maybe you don't spend a lot of time talking about it or, or reading into it and stuff. And this is one of those things that, Rich, you and I are probably going to have to do more study on this because even as we try to briefly cover this, we're probably going to miss things because it's not a topic you or I get into very much. Um, but we want to give a kind of a baseline for this because that statement, you may not encounter it very much. It does seem that hyper-dispensationalism is not a... Okay, it's not like the wackadoodle charismatic NAR stuff that's out there that's permeating everywhere, but yet it was prevalent enough that when Amy shared this on and it's um, it on Facebook, she goes by Asprey Berean, I think it is. So if you go looking for Amy Spreeman, you can't find it. It's because it's a different name. But the people who responded to, I mean, there were people arguing for this. And we'll get into what this statement means in a little bit. But there were, Rich and I were talking this about in pre-show, and I really kind of think there's two things to take away from this. It's number one, what do you actually believe? I mean, what do you believe about the framework of Scripture? What do you believe about how you understand theology and what Christ taught and what prophecies mean and how, how you get to the end. What is your framework? Is it covenantal? Is it new covenantal? Is it dispensational? Is it a hodgepodge? Because you've never really thought about it. What do you know? Because that these we, we talk about covenantalism, dispensationalism. Most people think about it solely in end times thinking, but really it's the framework of how you look at scripture and how you understand what passages mean and and how uh, what they're how they're to be applied because dispensational looks at things differently than covenantal does in certain areas, and so your what you believe about scripture and how that framework that you build it off of makes an impact on what you believe and how you apply it. So what do you know? How do you know it? How did you come to that? I'll, I'll tell you now. I I was dispensational for probably fifteen plus years of my life. Um, because I was in a dispensational church when I came to faith. Or I came to faith and went to a dispensational church. Let me put it that way. And I never questioned it. And it wasn't until later in my walk that I began to question certain things as I was exposed to things that challenged what I believed. So as I learned more about Reformed thinking, for example, I began to see there were challenges to what I believed. And I had to open, with an open mind and an open Bible ask questions. And now I don't I don't find myself in that dispensational camp quite so much anymore. I'm probably more covenantal. 
But even then, I couldn't give you a great explanation of what that means because I'm still learning. So why do you, what do you believe and why? And how did you get there? And then if someone were to come to you with such a statement, how do you respond to it? You know, how do you respond? How do you, how do you recognize what it is they're saying? And then how do you respond to it? How are you going to approach scripture when somebody comes to you with a very bizarre statement like this? And this is a truly, I mean, there are, there are things that you can say, and this will get me in a little bit of trouble with some of the listeners, but I'm going to say this. Um, I like James White's statement when it comes to things like Calvinism and Arminianism. James White makes a case where he says the only consistent Arminian is a, is a universalist because the way that a consistent Arminian would argue scripture will, in the end, lead you to the idea that God is basically just going to save everybody. Now, that's not to say that every Arminian is a universalist. And the reason he says that is because most Arminians are inconsistent because they recognize scripture counters some of their preconceptions. Now, it's not to say that Calvinism doesn't have, has issues to it. You have to, there are questions on all sides and you, and you have to study scripture and understand them, but a consistent, you know, ne never deviating from those preconceptions could, would lead you to universalism. I don't, I honestly do not believe, and I'm sorry if, if you're a reformed person and says, well, this is a consistent think even a, a dispensationalist. I disagree with you that there is nothing that I, I, as a dispensationalist would ever come to have believed about this approach to understanding what Jesus taught to the disciples and then what he taught through Paul. This is a jump. This is like, here's the Grand Canyon. Here's what I believe is on one side. And over there is hyper dispensationalism. I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to do the evil Knievel jump. That this is really bizarre jump. So um, it's an well, extreme me, jump. So anyway, go ahead. Let me let me add this: the less extreme portions of the hyper dispensational discussion you might come across in here more so than something like what you just read. Yeah, but it gets into whether you want to call it the covenant of grace or the dispensation of grace whatever label you want to put on it, it has to do with when did that start? Was it at Pentecost? Was it midway during Acts? Or was it as the hyper, most hyper-dispensationalists think in Acts 28 while Paul was in prison? And we'll touch on that a little bit. But let me just remind our listeners, this is not an inclusive, deep, discussion tonight um we're, we're just gonna barely skim across the, the very brief yeah the surface of covenant and dispensationalism there are several links in the show notes you can go through and read i would encourage you you know if there's something you're interested in there are a gazillion great books on both subjects out there but the the, the main point we want to kind of set up is to get into the hyper dispensational discussion portion of the discussion but in for the for, for the listeners that may not be that familiar with covenant theology and dispensationalism we want to provide at least some basic framework and groundwork so you have something to pull off of to kind of get yeah to where we're going um should did you want to say something else brother or should i uh, just start all, all i was going to say is i uh that I absolutely agree. The, the 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 giant leap I'm talking about is that statement about as a Christian, don't listen to the Jesus who walked the earth. Listen to the G resurrected Jesus, 
who talks through Paul. That's the that's the giant Grand Canyon leap I'm talking about. So that that's kind of, <laughs> so when when you encounter this, as Rich said, we're just trying to kind of do a flyby, scratch the surface type of discussion, in hopes that what we what this spurs you to do is dig in more about what you really believe. Um, I know, for example, James White caught a lot of grief when he went from basically an on-mill position to a post-millennial position. And, but James, it was James White himself who said, look, I never spent time thinking on these things. Now, again, that's more eschatology, but he himself, this is a very smart man. He's doing a lot of apologetics. He's doing a lot of debates uh, on, on theological issues. He's, he's, you know, he's witnessing to Muslims and Catholics and Mormons. But he himself said, look, I, I didn't spend a lot of time on this particular theological issue, and the more I've studied, this is where I land. Do I agree with James on that? No. No, I don't agree with the post-millennial position. Um, but I respect that what James did is that he, he spent time studying it. And so what's a challenge for all of us is that we need to do that. We need to study why we believe what we believe. Now, I know a lot of our listeners, Rich, are, I think, generally speaking, probably Reformed. Um, and so many of you probably already do, and you're like, yeah, I've already heard this. Why are you bothering? Well, not all of us have. I've been a Christian for 22 years this month, and I'd never heard of this particular argument. And when Rich saw it, he, he and I had the same reaction. It was, say what? <laughs> so <laughs> we were hoping this what this does is maybe some of you already know about it, but let it spur you to be informed and continue to grow in that knowledge and help others who aren't. And by the way, let's continue to be charitable. Unlike some people who say, you know, if you're a Reformed Baptist, you're responsible for transgender ideology. Oh, did I bring that subject up? Yeah, let's, we'll skip that for another time. Um, anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we're just going to bypass that one altogether. That was, that was a nightmare. Um, I stay, I stayed away from, from Twitter for about a week and a half after that. So, um, Anyway, so let's let's go ahead and move forward before I say something silly. Um, and uh, Rich, you, let's talk about the, the the covenant versus dispensational. So at least we're kind of laying that groundwork, like you were saying. Well, um, let me make it clear once again: this is not an in-depth discussion. This would like be a 120-mile version of a Todd Friel drive-by discussion <laughs> in one of his DVDs. I mean, it's not even that deep. So, but... Be generous to us. All things, <laughs> yes. As with all things, when, when it comes to certain aspects of theology and doctrine, there's really no... You can't just paint a broad brush and say, okay, this is what covenant theology is and everyone believes it. That is not true because... Mm -hmm. You and I both, and I'm sure our listeners have found, that some people have variations of a lot of different things. So don't think that we're saying that this is, if you hold to covenant theology, this is what you believe. No, if you hold to covenant theology, you're more than likely going to adhere to some aspects of this point. And if you're a dispensationalist, you're more than likely going to adhere to some aspects of that. But getting started... Um, covenant theology deals claims that God deals with mankind through several covenants rather, rather than distinct periods of time. And there are a few variations within covenant theology, and we're not going to go through 
every variation. This, like I said, is just a very basic bare bones breakdown. But it, but most covenant theology holds to a two covenant view: the covenant of, covenant of works, which occurred in the Old Testament, and that one was a covenant between God and Adam. The New Te- the New Testament is the covenant of grace, in which God the Father made covenant with Christ the Son. It is in this covenant that God, must, that God promised to give Jesus those who would be saved and that Jesus must redeem them. This covenant was made before the world was created. In classical covenantal theology, Jesus came in order to fulfill the law, and he completely satisfied the ceremonial, moral, and civil law. Now, in dispensationalism, it's a method of biblical interpretation that teaches that God uses different means of working with people during different periods of time throughout history, that scripture is unfolding in a series of dispensations. Most dispensationalists will divide this into seven different chronological periods, though some will say that there are only three major dispensations, while others will hold to eight. And I, during the show research, I, I found where some actually hold to nine different mm. dispensations during time. But dispensationalists generally regard Israel and the church as two separate entities, Mm -hmm. in contrast to covenantalists. I'm sorry, my mind went blank. (laughs) Covenantalists. Only in rare, yeah, covenantal. Only in rare occurrences is the church a replacement for Israel, but not entirely. Their goal is to emphasize the fulfillment of the promises to Israel through a literal transition translation of the Bible. Most dispensationalists hold to a pre-trib or pre-tribulation and pre-millennial rapture that is separate from the second coming of Christ. We are not getting into that tonight, people. No. Dispensationalists <laughs> believe the church is totally separate from Israel and did not begin until the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. That the promise made to Israel in the Old Testament that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled by the modern nation of Israel. None of these promises apply to the church. Now, when it uh, comes to hyper-dispensationalism, that statement right there about that dispensation started during the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, mm-hmm. that's going to be an important fact to remember. And then you also have New Covenant theology, and for the most part, it's a middle ground between covenant theology and dispensational theology. This variation sees the Mosaic law as a whole and that it was fulfilled in Christ. New Covenant theologists tend to not separate the law into three categories of ceremonial, moral, and civil. They claim that since Christ fulfilled all the law, that Christians are not even under are not under even the moral law, the Ten Commandments, since it was fulfilled in Christ, but that we are now all under the law of Christ. With the New Covenant theology, the Old Covenant is obsolete and is totally replaced by the law of Christ that governs our morality, meaning that once you're saved, you're no longer under the law of the Ten Commandments. That's for those that are outside of Christ. That once you are saved, you're under the law of Christ, the law of grace, the law of love, but those that are not saved are still under the Ten Commandments. They are condemned by the Ten Commandments. Um, and one reference is 1 Corinthians 9.21, to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, 
that I might win those who are without law. And then there's progressive dispensationalism. I'm going to skip that one. Um, real quick, the, the, the seven dispensations that traditional dispensationalists believe is a dispensation of innocence, a dispensation of conscience, a dispensation of human government, a dispensation of promise, a dispensation of law, a dis- dispensation of grace, and the disposition of the millennial reign of Christ. Um, if you want to read more about that, you can click the link. I think it's the BibleReasons.com link. And then, yes. what are the covenants in the Bible? You have the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic, Davidic I don't know how you say that. Davidic. V-I-D-I-C. Yeah, Davidic covenant. And then the new covenant. Um, Just as a side note, um, some famous dispensationalists have included Isaac Watts, John Darby, C.I. Schofield, E.W. Bullinger, which that name will become important very shortly, Mm -hmm. Lewis Schaefer, Miles Stanford, Pat Robertson, Henry Ironside, Skip, 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 Dwight Moody, and they include John MacArthur on this list. Um, also, Charles R- Ryrie. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? Ryrie. Ryrie? Yeah, Ryrie. Ryrie. Um, and then some famous covenantalists included John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, R.C. Sproul, Charles Hodge, W.A. W. Hodge, B.B. Warfield, John Calvin, and Augustine. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much deep, deeper you want to go into this, brother, but it, there's another section, God's people, God's people differences mm. in covenant theology and dispensationalism. Um, I think that's a key I one. I think I'll just, this, this you one, want to go ahead? Yeah, th- that one is kind of key, especially with this hyper-dispensational. Um, according to this Bible Reasons one, it does say, according to covenant theology, God's people are the elect, those who have been chosen by God to be his people. They were chosen for before creation of the world. Christ will not return before every one of his people come to a saving knowledge of him. So that's an important thing to understand because you'll often hear of dispensationalists accuse covenant theologians of replacement theology that 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 you're saying that the the church has replaced Israel that's an, that's not an a- accurate description because covenant the, uh, theolog- uh, theologians or covenant theology basically makes it a, an understand uh, expl- uh, there's an understanding in that theology that is the Israel that God refers to are, are his people so even though you had a national Israel the people that God would refer to as his people are those who came to him through faith. They are the people that are the elect of him from the from before time began. So Israel is God's people, the chosen, the elect from before time began. And that's why when you look at passages uh, such as in, in Romans chapter 9, where, uh, and I just hit the wrong button, bear with me, uh, 9, 6, and 7, where he uh, Paul writes, for this is what is, uh, excuse me, I got the wrong verse there. Uh, but it is not as though God, 
the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel, so ethnicity, belong to Israel. So those who are descended nationally, ethnically from Israel, doesn't necessarily mean that you are Israel, that you belong to Israel. So the national Israel does not necessarily mean you are part of spiritual Israel. Verse 7, and not all children of Abraham, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac your offspring shall be named. Um, there, there is this, and then again he says it also in Romans chapter 2, um, verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical, verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not by the letter his praise is not from man but from god so that reason that that distinction is important as we're going through this is that in dispensationalism it says here according to dispensationalism god's people refer to, refers to the nation of israel the church is a separate entity a parenthesis more or less adopted as god's people but not entirely God's people. So that's really important to understand because that distinction here is going to play into the hyper-dispensationalism, which I still argue, and I again, this is coming from someone who was a dispensationalist. What I believed as a dispensationalist had nothing to do with what the hyper- or ultra-dispensationalist belief system is. So I want to, I I do think that was important that we make that distinction or, or cover that distinction because hey brother yeah I want to touch briefly on the next segment yes God's please. purpose in covenant theology and dispensationalism in covenant theology God's purpose according to covenant theology is that God may be glorified through the redemption of His people God's plan all along was the cross and the church. Under dispensationalism, God's purpose, according to dispensationalism, is God's glory in a variety of ways that may or not may or may not be centered around salvation. And in some ways, those statements are similar, but mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, they're different. You know, um, God's plan in covenant with, was everything was centered around the cross and the church, but under dispensationalism, God's glory is seen or comes about in a variety of ways on those two statements. I have to agree with both of those. Yeah. Um, and I know that may sound like a contradiction, but it's not. And honestly, when it comes to traditional covenant theology and traditional dispensationalism, I see truth in both. I see it being carried out and revealed in the Bible the different covenants God made over the course of history. But I can see where you can use dispensationalism to explain the different covenants in a more precise manner, if that makes any sense. Does it? Well, I, I, think, the, I, I think I know what you're going for, and this is where this particular, you know, this is like a Cliff's Notes website view of these two different uh, these two different theological ba uh, paradigms, and so I think the problem with uh, with 
saying that one is kind of uh, that they're they're similar to where you can say dispensationalism accurately describes what happens to the covenants is that covenant theology would basically say that God and, and again we're really going Cliff's Notes version here, folks. Um, <laughs> so be gentle. Uh, my understanding of it is that basically God has God's plan has always been the same. It has never varied or changed. It, it, um, and while you had different covenants that he made, how God revealed himself through those covenants and his plan and purpose was consistent over time. You have a progressive revelation as we get closer and closer to Christ and the cross, but it's still the same God, it's still the same plan, where dispensationalism would kind of say it's, it had ha what he did varied over periods of time, depending on the group of people. And so that's where it's a little bit, I think it there, you, you might find on the surface some consistencies, but as you dig down, and that's why I say, I hope what this does is it challenges people to, what do I actually believe and why? Because it's really easy to say, I can see both of these being right. And in some ways they're going to say things that are accurate of scripture, but which one is more consistent with how we understand the revelation of God over time? And I think that's what people need to understand. I, I am coming to the position that it is um, covenant theology is probably a more consistent uh, understanding of God's work through his people and what his people are and how what it was all aiming toward, where dispensationalism... I don't think always does that. Dispensationalism wants to argue we're the only ones that read scripture uh, literally, but I, I would argue with that because they themselves will find symbolism. They'll find the types and shadows. They'll, 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 you know, if it, you open the book of revelation, it's not literally a dragon at the, at the feet of a woman. They, they recognize that it points to, uh, uh sim, to being symbolic to something. So, I, I find that dispensationalism doesn't always do that. Now, I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong. I'm just saying that's where I stand on it right now. Um, but it's well, I, I would say I, the more you dig in, the more you find those differences are much bigger than we probably realize. Well, let me say this, clarify what I said earlier. At least the first probably five or six points mm -hmm. of dispensationalism, ex with the exception of the millennial. Right portion, whether you get into pre-mill, a-mill, post-mill, all of that other, I can see where you could take a dispensational view and apply it as a systematic breakdown during each covenant that God made with man, or made with the nation of Israel, or made with David, or made with Noah. Um, and I know that may sound a little bit confusing, but I can see where that could be used as somewhat of a systematic breakdown right. to describe and identify each age of each covenant. Now, when it gets into what I believe, at the moment, I'm somewhere between traditional covenant and the new covenant. I'm somewhere in the middle right, right in there at the moment to where I'm... I'm, I'm I strongly think that I've always lent more towards a covenantal view than dispensational, but I can I can see where 
as I've grown and understood, there's, I can see in my mind and my understanding, there's somewhat of a blend in there between new covenant theology and traditional covenant theology. But ultimately my goal and my want and my desire and my prayer is to see people granted the gift of salvation. Um, And in the grand scheme of things, these type of discussions, you're not presenting the gospel, but as Chris said at the beginning of the show, as you grow and mature in Christ, it is important to grow and mature in our understanding of different areas and different points of doctrine and being able to discuss these issues with other believers. Because, you know, I, I, I think most of our listeners probably know I've been really highly involved with street evangelism and evan- church evangelism and whatever label you want to put on it, evangelism, for, I think, going on 12 years now. And I've come across some really weird thoughts and beliefs over the years, as well as our brothers and sisters have that actively engage in such things have as well. And I mean some really <laughs> strange, bizarre things, but the hyper-dispensational way of thinking that that one was a new one on me yeah. especially the depth the, the when you get into it in depth it really does um yeah. the top level portion of it when it comes to the acts the book of acts as to when the age of grace came to be whether you want to consider it a covenant or you want to call it the dispensation since we're talking about hyper dispensationalism i'll use the verb, I'll use the word dispensational. When the dispensation of grace came into being, Covenant believes that it was the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. But when you get into the hyper-dispensationalism, or as it originally was called, ultra-dispensationalism, they believed that that age of grace didn't happen until either mid-Acts or the end Mm -hmm. of Acts, when Paul was in prison in Rome, and one of the many things I kept coming across that was quoted was Acts 28, when Paul told the Jews that he was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. In order to arrive at that conclusion, there is so much of the book of Acts that they have to completely throw out the window. Yeah. In addition to the day of Pentecost, they have to throw out the fact that Peter was the first apostle to the Gentiles because about midway in Acts, when Paul goes to Jerusalem and, and tells of what the Lord did through him and Barnabas on their travels, he and Peter are having a discourse, and Peter said, you know, in the beginning, God decided that I'd be the apostle that bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and then he basically hands the mantle over to Paul and said, you take it to the Gentiles, I'll take it to the Jews. And that, that's bad paraphrasing, <laughs> so don't throw rotten tomatoes at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of trying to rush through this. But, I mean, all of that has to be completely thrown out the window. In addition, Christ himself, Christ came first to the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. When Christ sent out the disciples, he told them not to go to the land of Gentiles and not to go to the land of Samaria. But Christ himself 
was going to go to the centurion's home to heal someone there. And the centurion met him, and Christ said, not even among those of Israel have I found anyone with such faith. And that was his interaction with the Gentile, which was the centurion. On top of that, Christ himself went down to Samaria, and not only did he go to Samaria, he talked to a woman of Samaria, and I don't know how much history our listeners understand, but for a Jew to go to a Gentile's home, they would have to go through an entire series of like a two-week purification to be able to go to the temple because they viewed Gentiles as such a dirty, nasty, beneath them race. And those in Samaria were just about that low on the pecking order as the Gentiles were. And that's one reason Peter was rebuked by the brothers when he came back from visiting the home of Cornelius because they basically rebuked Peter and said, you know, we're not supposed to go visit, go to the home of a Gentile. But anyway, I digress a little (laughs) bit. But that's just a few of the verses and some of the truths that this Acts 28 hyper-dispensationalism adheres to. And you have they have to throw out the portions of Scripture by Christ describing the Gentiles being grafted in and being all of one tree and these, these type of things. But I'll, I'll let you take it for a little while, brother, and you can, you can discuss some of the weirder aspects of it. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so, actually, I think one of the best... Here to help. <laughs> Barnabas to my Paul, right? Uh, so, so um, I think that the article that was really helpful to me, and, that, and there are going to be a number of links that we actually share, but one of the ones that really helped me with this, it was something that in that same thread from uh, Amy Spreeman's... Um, from the when she shared that particular quote, somebody dropped an article by Bob DeWay. Now Bob DeWay is a, is a teacher and theologian at uh, Gospel of Grace Fellowship, and just so you know, when you go to the what their belief page, the, one of the first things they have up is they you know we believe in the doctrines of grace as articulated in the five solas of the Reformation. So this is a solid church. <laughs> so it's not some out of the way. I know some of you probably already know the name, but I just in case you didn't know. Uh, I, I made sure to look him up. He's actually a solid guy. But um, he has uh, on his critical, critical Issues Commentary, which is the website is cicministry.org. Um, Bob, if you ever hear this, you really need a page that fills the screen and doesn't have such tiny font. Uh, <laughs> some of us older people, even with the, the, uh, with the, the transitions glasses... It was still a little tough to read on my iPad, uh, <laughs> so I had to turn it sideways. But it's actually a really great in-depth article that talks about hyper-dispensationalism. And um, it, you, you mentioned one of the famous names uh, in, the, in dispensationalism off the, the, uh, the our, our first article we referred to, the Bible Reasons one, and that is E.W. Bullinger. And what he, uh, I'll just read a couple quick paragraphs here. He says, in the 19th century, Anglican clergyman E.W. Bullinger was the father of a system of theology that claimed that the gospel of grace was unknown until it was revealed to Paul. This is why the issue of 
where in Acts is the birth of the church. This is where this this particular understanding, this hyper-dispensational, ultra-dispensational thinking starts. Um, again, quoting the article, he claimed that the church as we know it did not begin until Acts 28, when an offer to immediately institute the kingdom of God on earth was withdrawn from Israel. Bollinger claimed that only the prison epistles were binding on the church. Remember what we read at the beginning of the show? What was that about you know, the, 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 res, uh, the resurrected Jesus? How did it go? Why are you still listening to the Jesus that walked the earth? He wasn't talking to you. The resurrected Christ is talking to you through Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. This is where this comes from. Now, uh, as he points out in this article, a lot of whether they want to call themselves mid-Acts dispensationalists, ultra-dispensationalists, they don't like the name hyper-dispensationalists, by the way. Um, and, and, and The more modern. Yeah. Which, the more modern. Right. Um, they would, you know, he points out in this article, they would prefer to be called dispensationalist. I don't think you can do that because I think dispensationalist, even though it has a range, um, this is beyond the range. So they will tolerate being called mid-acts dispensationalist, but they do not like um, hyper or ultra dispensationalist. So in your interactions, remember, you don't have to be a jerk for Jesus. So, well, you're a hyper dispensationalist. You might just might, might as well be poking him in the eye. So just a thought, just something for you to consider. So anyway, getting back to this, what does he say? That the prison epistles, Bollinger goes a little further by restricting it to just the prison epistles. Um, DeWay points out in this article that most hyper-dispensationalists today would not quite narrow it down that far, but they still do. He says, uh, thus Bollinger relegated most of Scripture to a category similar to the book of Leviticus, inspired but not directly binding on Christians in all of its details. One implication of this is that Jesus' own teachings, this is where the walking on earth Christ comes into play, Je Jesus' own teachings, including the Great Commission, listen up, Jesus' own teachings, including the Great Commission, are not binding or applicable to the church. Okay? So, Understand that anything up to the point of whether it's mid-Acts or Acts 28, where Paul is uh, becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, anything before that has no binding on you as the church today under the gospel of grace. And I'm using specific language for a specific reason. We'll be Hopefully this will be helpful. Let me interject yeah. just a moment for, for those that if you end up in this conversation with someone, one thing to, to remember and go back to, and I and please forgive me because it just popped into my head and I cannot remember exactly where it's at. I think it's in Luke when Christ wept over Jerusalem and prayed, mm -hmm. and he prayed not only for those, not only for the disciples and apostles, but for those that would believe through their word, guess what? We're the ones that believe through their word mm -hmm. because as they proclaimed the gospel throughout the rest of the area and the region after Saul persecuted the church, it was those Jews that escaped from Jerusalem and fled to the areas and lands of the Gentiles, and they took the gospel and proclaimed it 
And the gospel we have, the Bible we have, the word that we believe now, came about through their proclamation of the gospel in those Roman colonies. Mm -hmm. So that is just completely thrown out the window with that one verse right there by itself. Yeah. And there, then you get oh, from, I was just going to say, when you, when you transition from Matthew 28 to Acts 1, Acts 1 is a continuation from Matthew 28, because when, when Christ told them to take the gospel and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them all that I have commanded you, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, Acts 1 picks up from that moment. So it's a continuation, and that command to the apostles and to the disciples to proclaim the gospel throughout the world, one reason, I believe, for the persecution by Saul of the first church in Jerusalem is because they were not doing that. The church was being brought and raised up, and if Christ ever intended for a perfect church to remain on the earth before he returned, he would never have allowed Saul to persecute the church and make them scatter. Because if they had never scattered and went to the land of the Gentiles, would we have the gospel throughout the world today? Right. That's right. something I want our listeners to think about. But anyway, go ahead, brother. No, bro no problem. So um, now, some of you might... You know, if you read this article, one of the names you might recognize, and there's actually somebody I need to talk to about this, um, one of the names is or one of the more, I'll say more modern uh, teachers, uh, Bible teachers you'll see on video or hear them on the radio is Les Feldick. I didn't know much about Les Feldick, so this was kind of a, re a revelation to me. Les Feldick is one of the purveyors of this hyper-dispensationalist uh, mentality, and he actually... He teaches, as according to Bob DeWay, Les Feldick says this about the point at which Paul was given a never-before-known message about the gospel of grace. Understand that the, the key, in under when they say, why are you listening to the Jesus who walked the earth that wasn't for you, what they're saying is, that was not the gospel of grace. Later in this article, Bob DeWay says there are two gospels. One called the gospel of the kingdom, which was offered to the Jews and rejected. The, the one then taught through Paul is the gospel of grace that we know. And there's a reason why the issue of uh, evangelism, the Great Commission, is considered not for us. It's considered part of the, uh, you know, considered part of that gospel of the kingdom, which was rejected. Uh, things about the, repre the preaching of repentance and faith. That was part of the gospel for, of the kingdom. That's not the gospel of grace. Yeah, it's it, like I said, this is even for a dispensational perspective. This is way off in the left field. Okay, so um, the, this is a quote he gives from Les Feldick, who is a hyper-dispensationalist. And, and Les writes, Now, if you're a Bible student, you will catch on real quick that Paul is always referring to the mysteries that were revealed to him, and what are the, what are mysteries? Secrets, and who keep uh, who kept them until they were revealed to this man? God did, and when God called Paul out of the religion of Judaism and saved him on the road to Damascus, He sent him down to Mount Sinai and poured out on him for three years all of the 
ears all the revelations of the mysteries. There, there are all kinds of mysteries that Paul speaks of in his writings, and since they were revealed to him, he then became the steward of those mysteries. And if he was the steward of them, then he was the administrator of them. When we understand that, this book beca- uh, then this book becomes plain as a 300-watt bulb. It li- just lays right out in front of you. Of course, this is a whole new administrator or dispensation. So they are literally creating something that Scripture itself does not reveal. Paul is not saying that he got secretive knowledge that, you know, the, the, when he says, you know, we recognize this is part of that progressive revelation over time. When Paul says, you know, mysteries that were revealed to him, he's referring to that, that the it, Christ is the fulfillment of all of this. Things that, you know, the idea that the Gentiles were included, that the, you know, the gospel is, you know, uh, you, you fulfilled in Christ. All of these things lead up to that. And so that's what he's talking about. But people like Les Feldick have created the, the, basically this super secret knowledge that Paul was the only pur- purveyor of. And that is not what scripture ta- teaches us. Go ahead, Rich. I was just going to notice the contrast. We have so many today that want to deny Paul's writings <laughs> yeah. as scripture. This is the complete polar opposite, opposite end of that to where nothing but what Paul wrote applies to the Gentiles, and you have to take and twist and do some major eisegetical gymnastics to come to those conclusions, because if you read through the book of Acts and the other epistles, more than one time Paul used the phrase, repent and believe. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that they actually talk about, and it's one of the reasons why Bollinger's writings are important to understand because what they that's why Bollinger says the prison epistles which eliminates what he said in anything Paul said in Acts and what he says in 1 Corinthians because those were were not written those were not writings that the, those were writings done prior to this gospel of grace according to Bollinger now mid, so according so according to so according to Bollinger and, and that other gentleman you named, I can't remember. Feldick. But, yeah. Basically, what they're saying is, Paul refuted himself when he said that all scriptures breathed out by God. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, this this is where <laughs> it, it, gets, it gets so problematic. So, uh, and then, now, one thing that DeWay does say is you're more mid-Acts dispensationalist who or kind of push Bollinger to the side. People like Feldick will not take it quite that far, but the problem is, is be, that actually opens them up to refutation much easier because he does point out that Paul himself speaks of repentance, that he speaks of uh, turning from your sins. And so that's one of the, the issues of it. So let, getting back to this, because we're, we're running short on time here, and I just want to go over uh, this couple of things here. What uh, is this issue of the cheat or the teachings of Jesus binding on the church? Now, this is really important to understand because, according to the hyper dispensationalist, the offer of the kingdom, that gospel of the kingdom, was made at Pentecost. The church wasn't birthed at Pentecost, it was the offer of, of the kingdom to the Jews, and it was not uh, officially withdrawn until. Acts 28, 28, which is where Paul says he's going to the the Gentiles with the gospel. So, after that point, 
the gospel of grace is offered to everyone. But from the time of Pentecost to the time of Acts 28, 28, you have this offer of the kingdom or the, the gospel of the kingdom. And it's because of that, uh, that point that they, they're basically saying that everything that is taught up to Acts 28, 28 is pointing to this issue of the gospel of the kingdom. And that at Acts 28, 28, that offer is now rescinded because the Jews have refused it. And now everything taught forward of Acts 28, 28 is the gospel of grace. And so anything preceding Acts 28, 28 is the gospel of kingdom and it is not binding upon you. So what the, what he says in this article is that hyper-dispensationalists claim that Jesus' teachings were the terms that would have been in effect had the Jews offered the accept, Jews accepted the offer of the kingdom. Those terms were still valid as long as the offer was valid. And after that, they have no importance to the church and are not binding. So that's that's where they're coming from. When you hear someone say, well, that's all when Jesus was on the earth. That doesn't have any binding on us because that's what they're talking about. This offer of the kingdom. Um, he also says that they have a very idea about a different idea about the church itself. This one was very surprising to me. I had never heard this before. For example, when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. He supposedly was not speaking of the church, the body of Christ, as we know it but a Jewish church that only existed for a while in the middle of Acts. That means, mm. that means that the church we are in is not what Jesus called my church. So again, when someone says, well, why are you listening to Jesus when he was here? That, that, that gospel, that church that he was talking about, that doesn't exist because that offer of that type of church, of that gospel of the kingdom, that's closed. It was taken away. That's that's the linchpin. That's that's their escape valve, because what they're saying and is they're two different types still of churches. Doesn't make any, it doesn't. It still makes no sense. No, it absolutely I mean, doesn't. So, oh goodness! If I hope our listeners didn't have the headache <laughs> that I have right now, and I've read through all this, and now listening to you go back through it again, I'm still confused <laughs> because I cannot see any logic in their conclusions whatsoever. The only thing that I came across reading about. Bellinger, or was it, mm. it, was, was Bullinger, it Bellinger? Yeah. Bellinger, yeah. yeah. That made any sense as to how he came to some of these conclusions was that he was trying, he started out making, trying to make a distinction between what Jesus said, literally said to the Jews, versus what is applicable to us today as the body of believers. Because some of that you can, when G, some of the, in the Gospels, when Jesus spoke to the disciples, when he spoke to those following him, some of those, some, some of that is applicable only to those that he spoke to. But I think they tried, he tried to take those literal comments and apply it to all of the Gospels and say, well, since he was saying this literally to someone, like when he healed the blind man and words that he spoke to that blind man, he literally meant for that blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Mm -hmm. That was literally meant for that blind man. So since that was a literal 
expression command given to that one individual that means everything in the gospels were meant just for the jews yeah and he once again it's the polar opposite of a lot of what we see today because today you see people and and this will get me in trouble yet again (laughs) but when jesus told peter or any of the any of the apostles when he said, follow me, he literally meant follow as in come travel with me. When he told the disciples, follow me, he literally meant come and travel with me. In today's modern evangelical way of belief, we see multitudes saying, well, all I got to do is follow Jesus. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says repent and believe and obey. When Jesus said, follow me, he literally meant travel with me. But where we see one end of the spectrum of the extreme today, Bellinger and and these hyper-dispensationalists, they're they're on the other end of the extreme to where they're saying nothing in the Gospels applies to the modern-day church. Am I getting this right? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. I mean, when we get back to DeWay's article, I mean, he says here, this means that the church Paul speaks of in his epistles was not the church that Jesus founded or that Peter or the others belonged to. This is a huge distinction. Huge distinction. Uh, there, He quotes another person, uh, C.R. Stam. I, I forget what... Uh, there's a book he references in the article. He says, Stam claims, quote, the building of this house, the church of this age, was a secret which Peter and the eleven knew nothing about when they followed Christ as king and offered his kingdom to Israel at Pentecost. That uh, That's what they're saying. That when Christ walked this earth and you are reading the Gospels prior to Christ knocking Peter, Paul off his horse and then later teaching him in the wilderness for three years, Everything before that has no application to the church today because the church that Jesus references is this mysterious kingdom church. And that's, it's, it's, yeah, it's very, it's a very odd understanding. And DeWay does a great job um, quoting from various sources, from the scriptures themselves, from other uh, teachers and writers that really do a great job refuting this. And so I really encourage you guys, it's a lengthy article, but there's a lot here. Um, and so another thing to understand is that he, he he breaks this article up into various subsections. So the one on the teachings binding to the church, we've kind of explained that, that anything p- pr- uh, prior to Paul's epistles written after Acts 28 have no binding on the church as we know it now because it's not the church as it was described prior to that point. Um, To whom were the Gospels written? They believe, in hyper-dispensationalism, is that they believe that the Gospels were written to the Jews, specifically to the Jews, except for the fact, as as DeWay points out in his article, you have Luke chapter 1, 1 through 3, writing to whom? Theophilus. Not a Jewish man. <laughs> He's writing to a Greek, and so he, he wants him to write the, uh, to understand those things, so that he will, un, you know, be able to uh, understand and practice what he has been taught. So all of Luke's writing in both the the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts 
are not written to Jews. They are written to a Greek man. So that's that that, that defeats part of that article that idea that what Jesus taught was specifically only to the Jews. Go ahead. Anywhere in that article breaking it down, does mm -hmm. it address how hyper dispensationalism or ist how they explain away the mystery hidden for ages that was talked about by the prophets in the Old Testament, that was talked about by Christ, that was addressed by Peter and Paul and the apostles, the fact that the Gentiles would be brought in. Is in does that ever come across in any of the things that you read about with the hyper or ultra or mid-X dispensationalist belief? No, he doesn't. I don't think he addresses that specifically. But I think it again comes back to the way that people like uh, Bullinger and Stam and uh, Feldick look at it is that literally everything previous to mid-Acts or Acts 28 pointed to something else, this gospel of the kingdom, this offer of the kingdom. So that's that's this that's the escape valve. If you point to anything that that talks about this, that's talking about something else. That's talking about a church that didn't happen. The Jews rejected it, so therefore, boom, we we don't have. It's informative. It's helpful. It's like reading Leviticus. You 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 as a Christian today, you don't have to worry about not eating shellfish, but it's scripture, and you still need to read and understand what the what the laws were. But that's not that's not for you anymore. So. So they they they're sure they are not only unhitching from the Old Testament, they're unhitching from basically most of the New Testament as well. Andy Stanley. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yes, that, that's sad but true. Um, so and this, uh, let me say this, and I'll let you finish. It just goes to prove what we've said before that people will believe anything as long as it's not biblical truth, yeah. and no matter what aspect of theology or Christianity that you're reading and studying, someone will make a false idol out of anything when it comes to the Bible. Yeah. A amen to that. Amen to that. Um, they, he does talk about in here the whole, the whole idea that the Great Commission is rejected. Um, they absolutely do not believe, according to what uh, he writes here. And he cites from, uh, let's see, Stam, who was one of the, C.R. Stam, who says that the Great Commission, it says, what a, what a mistake to call this the Great Commission and our marching orders. Uh, how pathetic to see sincere believers vainly trying to carry out this commission and these orders. Um, they actually see it as legalism. They, uh, they believe that um, it is teaching, the, the idea of teaching people to obey all that Christ has commanded, that we are to be, you know, uh, that we are to repent, put faith in Christ, and that part of our, uh, part of the command upon salvation is to be, to be baptized. They see that all as belonging to this other church, this non-existent church. So the idea of in our present dispensation, this is not necessary. There is no need for repentance for the forgiveness of sins because that's only for the Jews. Uh, again, he quotes Feldick saying, and yet for most people who are putting 
out the plan of salvation. They say, you have to ask God to forgive your sins. You have to repent. Well, I can't find any of this in Paul's letters to the church, uh, church-age believers. It's not in, there, in here. That's incorrect, and he actually cites several places. Um, as he says here, never mind that Paul commented or commended the Thessalonians for turning from excuse me for turning from idols to live to serve the living God. First Thessalonians one nine, which as he says sounds surely sounds like repentance, and he actually points out in other places where he talks. Uh, Paul speaks of repentance. This the, this is the the last part before he gets into a conclusion and an addendum, where there there are two different gospels. He actually points out that the people like C.R. Stamp identifies four different Gospels, but he focuses primarily on the two. And uh, he says, The favorite hyper-dispensationalist proof text for the idea of two Gospels is this passage, which is Galatians 2.7. But to the contrary, or on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the Gospel to this uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Now, what they're saying is, well, there's a Gospel for the circumcised and a Gospel for the uncircumcised. That, that's a colossal leap. It really is a colossal leap to say. Instead of saying what he means is that Paul is saying, "I was we both had the same gospel. I was entrusted to give it to this group. He was entrusted to give it to that group." They're saying no. There's a uh, gospel had a uh, or, excuse me. Paul had a gospel for the uncircumcised, and Peter had a different gospel for the circumcised. And so, Pete, so going going by that logic. Peter at some point was adhering to three different gospels: one for the one for the time during Christ, one for the Gentiles since he was the first apostle to be sent to the Gentiles, and then he flip flopped back, and then that third gospel came back around for the Jews. Well, remember that. Oh, good grief! Remember that Peter's gospel was the gospel that was up until Acts twenty-eight, because post Pentecost, according to Hyper dispensationalism post pentecost it's the gospel of the kingdom so everybody that's being receiving this gospel is receiving the gospel to the kingdom it is not until acts 28 where paul now has the gospel of grace so peter would have been preaching to the uh, up to the point cuz even when when the two of them had went out and went preaching peter's preaching his gospel of the kingdom to the jews Paul's preaching to the the gospel of grace to the uncircumcised. It's absolutely mind-boggling um, where they come up with this. Um, DeWay writes that they use the King James Version of Galatians 2.7 that says, of the circumcision, and assume that it has a different content than the, uh, the gospel Paul preached. So if you were to look up, uh, here, let me pull up, let me pull up this passage in ESV, Real quick, um, I would, I would be really interested in reading how hyper dispensationalists think someone is saved today. Well, they they believe by grace. You, you just believe. You believe in Jesus, and that's it. Ugh. And that's what that's what he points out here is that it's just belief. That's why we we, we aren't to preach uh, repentance and faith in Christ. You just believe in Jesus because that's what that's, Paul writes over and over again. That's in this actual section beneath. Or uh, the, about the two covenants, he actually addresses that. Um, but just that's to, as bad as that's as bad as once we once heard about that group in Norway that was that thought you just say the name Jesus and you're yeah. saved. And it's probably not that far. 
So in the ESV, it says, On the contrary, when I saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. So he in it, reading it in, it, say, like ESV, you're going to understand it a bit more clearly. Uh, just, you know, uh, let, me, let me grab my, my new Legacy Standard Bible. This, this will make a lot of our reform, our really super reformed friends happy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Chris, Huff. I swear, Chris Huff, man, I'm telling you. Um, the dude is, is like, he could be their sales rep. Um, but anyway, so, so we're going to Galatians 2 7. Let me, I'm in the second Corinthians. I'm really close. Let me find this here. So we'll make, we'll make guys like Chris Huff really, really happy here. So we're going to read it in, uh, the Legacy Standard Bible. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Again, it's clear from any modern translation of how we articulate today that Paul is speaking of the same gospel to two different groups of people. But as DeWay points out in his article, they, they, they jump back to the King James, and it says... Uh, but on the contrary, seeing I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uh, to the uncircumcised, it's it's he's trying uh, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. It's a little bit older, a little bit clunkier, and yet it's still saying the same thing if you read it consistently with how the gospel is preached throughout the entire uh, the throughout the entirety of Scripture. Um, well, needless to say, in all three versions. The word the is the key word. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say a gospel to the Gentiles right. and a gospel to right. the Jews. It is In the all gospel. three versions, the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, he, he um, points out that there's just... I'm going to have to wrap this up. Um, throughout the course of this article, he points out that there are, there are different churches, there are different gospels, and so... When you encounter someone who is saying, you don't listen to the, be the, the Jesus that walked the earth because he wasn't talking to you. This is what they're talking about. They have inserted this different, th this, this turning point that the book of Acts and the author Luke make no, dis uh, make no note of. They say there's this turning point that when Paul said, I now go to the, uh, to the Gentiles that an offer of the gospel of the kingdom was closed. It was done. It was shut down. So what you're really, it's, it's kind of like the people who say that Adam and Eve was plan A, they blew it, so the gospel was plan B. That's not what the distinction, that scripture never tells us that. It is consistent account from out throughout all of scripture that Christ, that man would fall and Christ would be the promised savior. That was always God's plan. So here, what you're saying is kind of like, well, plan A was Adam and Eve. And I'm not saying they say this, but it's almost like this is the direct direction it goes. Plan A was Adam and Eve. That failed. So now we have to have Christ coming. So that's plan B. But plan B kind of somewhat fails because there's this gospel of the kingdom, this church of the kingdom that was offered to the Jews and they turned it down. So now God has kind of gone plan C, which is the church to the, the, uh, the church through Paul. And it is it is a completely artificial distinction 
And this is where I said earlier, Rich, that that issue of the dispensational view of God's people is important because what they've done here is the dispensational view says, well, God's people is the nation of Israel. And for a time, he's he's put a veil over their uh, in in their way. They they can't come to him because of their turn as a nation. They can't come to him. Individual Jews can turn and and, and come to faith, but as a nation that's closed off to them right now because of their rejection of Christ. And right now we're in the church age, so we're this as uh, Dewey called it this kind of parentheses. And so the church is a separate entity. They're not the people of God. They are this separate entity that are grafted in, but they're not they're not Israel. They're not the the people of God. So that's where you, in dispensationalism you have these two groups and according to the dispensational view there will come a time when the veil is lifted and they will you know they will come to Christ as a nation which has to do with things like the tribulation and 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 all that stuff. So what you're watching here with the hyper dispensationalists is they take this massive leap to say it's not just that the the that Israel it has this veil across their face so to speak so they can't come to Christ nationally now it's it's even more than that they had a, an entire offer of the kingdom and it's now closed permanently and it's shut off and now you have this brand new gospel that nobody knew about from Genesis to Acts 28 and now that's how you get saved is through this. So anything from Genesis to Acts 28 inspired, it's God's word. Yes, you should read it, but it has no app, no doctrinal application to you. Acts 28 onward, and therefore only the things that Paul wrote to the church. So there you've got a problem. What about the past, you know, the, the epistles written by Peter? What about uh, the epistles written by John? What about, you know, the book of Hebrews? They reject the book of Hebrews as having any emphasis to the church, by the way. Um, according to the same article, you have this insertion that is, it's kind of like that square peg in a round hole. And it's like watching that kid slam that mallet in and, and it starts to splinter. And he, he, you jam that thing in there. He finally gets it in there, but it is destroyed and mangled. It's kind of what's happened here. You've inserted a foreign distinction that scripture itself never de declares. And as DeWay points out, Luke being the historian that he was, um, certainly would have documented that. <laughs> Yet there's nothing to indicate that. And the testimony of Scripture, as you pointed out earlier, Rich, um, it consistently talks about a time of the grafting in of the Gentiles. That there would come a time that they would be blessed because of the coming of the Messiah. You, you have to do a lot of, to, to use your words, Rich, a lot of gymnastics to make this happen. And so that's what's going on. And so when you see a phrase like that, this, well, why are you, you know, if you will come across it or come across somebody who believes that, what you're hearing is hyper-dispensationalism or mid-acts dispensationalism. You're hearing someone who genuinely believes that all of scripture up to Acts 28 it's God's word but it has no bearing on your life. Just like Leviticus that says you know, to the Jews as part of the law of Israel, you couldn't wear mixed fabrics or eat shellfish. Yet 
in Christ under the new covenant, he declares all foods, you know, uh, clean. There's that, there's that going from the old covenant to the new covenant and Christ fulfills the law. So therefore we're not under that. We are now in Christ and now we are called to be obedient to his commands, which we see throughout the new Testament. Um, they're saying no, no, no. That's not what that. That's none of that's that uh, has any bearing on your life. It's just like you. You don't need to eat shellfish. Uh, you can eat shellfish now. It's fine. Uh, the rest of this has no bearing on you as as doctrine. So that's that's well, guess, that's what's really mind blowing. Well, I guess when God promised Abraham that through his offspring all the nations would be blessed, mm -hmm. I guess that on I guess that got nullified and voided when Paul came along with his new secret gospel. And like I say, I mean, it's, I'm sure there is a great deal more to this. I think DeWay's article is extremely informative, and I didn't even get a chance to look at the addendum. Uh, he talks about the, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, rightly dividing, a uh, couple of add-ons at the bottom. I didn't even get a chance to read that. I uh, just kind of ran out of time. But it's a really informative article, and it goes back to the questions we asked at the beginning. What do you know? How do you know it? And why? Because there are there were people that really genuinely they they were fighting on this thread for this position. Now mm. the, I'm not going to say these guys are like heretics. I'm not going to say that they're unsaved. Um, they believe in salvation through grace. They believe you have to believe upon Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, but they, they they walk a very dangerous, and I mean very very dangerous line. If you are saying that what Christ taught while on this earth has no bearing in your life, man, you are you are you are walking a not only a fine line, you're walking over the the that thinnest of threads, and it's breaking over the pit of fire. Okay, no, that's really it. dangerous. I will say it. They are heretics because they're denying when Christ said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. They are denying that truth that Christ stated. So, therefore, I will declare them proliferating some form of heresy because by denying that, they're denying Christ and calling him a liar. Well, let, let me rephrase what I'm saying is that I'm probably talking more the individuals who like were on that comment thread. This is a dangerous place. Now, people who are per, who are teaching this, that's that's a very different story. All right, and like I said, there's this. I didn't realize that there were people today that are teaching this, and we need to be cognizant of those individuals, and we need to raise these concerns with our friends and loved ones who listen to those individuals. Because this is, as, as Rich, you're pointing out, there's a lot of denials of the truth of Scripture here. All right, what was the gentleman's name again that you said that is known today that uh, is teaching this? Oh, Les Feldick. Now, I, I know of him. Feldick. Yeah, F okay, he's, he's an elderly gentleman. You'll find him on YouTube. He's got a website. He, I, I think certain Christian channels will have him, and he's usually standing in front of a chalkboard or something and he's got people sitting in front of him and he's just an old guy going through the the bible real nice guy um seemed like he was okay to me i didn't listen to him didn't pay attention to him um it's been brought up in other conversations i'm like yeah i've heard the name i don't know anything about him uh 
Um, I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't know that this guy taught that. So it's one of those things where at least being aware of what's being taught so that you know how to respond is helpful. But it's also, do you know the authentic gospel well enough that you can refute this? Okay. And are you listening to what people are saying so that you, I mean, we often want to, we, my son and I were having a conversation and, and I kept catching him as he went to interrupt me on something. I went, Hey, wait a second. He's like, yep, yep. You're right. And it's because he, he wanted to get out what he had to say really fast. He was afraid he was going to forget. We were, we do like my son was doing. We all tend to go, I'm listening for enough for me to respond. This is important because now having read this article, I'm beginning to understand that comment thread more. Most of us want to go, oh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Yes, absolutely. But what are they saying when, when they see that? Oh, yeah, it's all important. You know, the, you know, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete for every, uh, equipped it for every good work. Oh, of course I believe that. But what you as a Christian need to understand is it's this portion that has application in your life right now. All of that had an application at a different time. You see that distinction? Well, one thing, and I had a conversation on Twitter not long ago, and I want, if our listeners take nothing else away from this episode, I want them to remember this. Even though you may be talking to someone that professes to be a Christian, that agrees with you, even when maybe you say, well, you need to be sharing the gospel, and they say, well, I share the gospel regularly. You need to ask them, what do they mean yes. by that? Because words mean different things to different people. Yes. Just because they're using the correct language does not mean they understand the biblical hermeneutics behind those passages. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, now there was something else I was... There was something else I wanted to read. Now I'm forgetting what it was. So I, I'll just... I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. I forget why I had it up, and I can't remember what I had. So, um, oh, that, I think that's what it was, is that um, has to do, where is that passage again? In 2 Timothy ch uh, chapter 2, he talks to him, no, it is back in chapter 3, that he says uh, in three uh, uh, 3.10, he says, you, have, you, have, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium. Which persecutions I endured, yet from the Lord, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Um, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go for on from bad to worse, deceiving and be deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing whom uh, from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred sacred writings which are make able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Those two verses, 14 and 15. What scriptures is he talking about? Would have been the Old Testament. Everything up to that point, scripture was the Old Testament. Everything that pointed to the Christ was the Old Testament. All the prophecies, all the you know, um, all the promises, all the history, all the commandments of God to the people of Israel. All of it pointing to Christ. So when you hear someone say, 
Well, when Jesus walked the earth, he was talking to the Jews. Here you have Paul, the very one they say that we get our gospel from, is talking to a pastor, a young pastor. You learned this from the sacred writings, the scriptures, which what are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Everything, everything in scripture from Genesis to Revelation is for you. All of it. Nobody, let no one ever tell you that's not for you. It is God's progressive revelation as we see it unfolding for the first promise of the, uh, of the gospel, the Proto-Evangelium in the Garden of Eden. All the way through what we see him doing with the Jews, the calling them out, the giving of the law, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, the temple, the promise of the uh, of the uh, that that prophet to come, all of it pointing to their deliverer. How do we know that? Because at the time Christ came, what were they looking for? A deliverer. They were looking for the Messiah. What, what kind were they looking for? A worldly political deliverer, but they were still looking for a deliverer. They knew that all of this pointed to Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, that they themselves had received the promise of a deliverer to come. That's how you got saved. You look forward to the promise of God of his deliverer in the future. And that was in faith. Why is it that God tells the the the, the Jews it's not their sac I, you know, I don't desire your sacrifices, but rather a broken and contrite heart? The sacrifices were done out of faith. It wasn't the act of going up and slitting the throat of the the, the bull. It was the faith in which you did that. It was the faith in the promise of the, the forgiveness of sins yet to come. That's how you that's that's where the people of God were saved. And that was that's a consistent message throughout the scriptures. So for anyone to insert a break, and this is where you're absolutely right, Rich, that is false teaching. Are there people trapped in this? Yes. Are there people who don't understand it? Yes. Are the people in that comment thread all heretics? I'm not going to say that. But I'm going to say that what they're believing in, that's not true. That's not what the scriptures teach. Do they believe you're saved by faith? Yeah, I certainly do believe that. Do they believe that it's in faith in Christ alone? Absolutely. They say that's what you believe in. But they insert something into scripture that does not belong, and they disqualify by their own beliefs the entirety of scripture up to, uh, up to Acts 28. Folks, that's dangerous. Well, that's extremely dangerous. I see it as they are both adding and taking away from the mm -hmm. gospel. And Paul said, if anyone brings a different gospel, let them be accursed. And that language is extremely, extremely strong language, if you understand yep. what Paul meant by that. I mean, you cannot add to the gospel, you cannot take away from the gospel. There's only one gospel, and that is the biblical way of salvation. Amen. And that's why I call it the biblical way of salvation, because for the simple fact, what I said earlier about how a person defined when they said share the, what they shared the gospel, the way they defined sharing the gospel was not the biblical way of salvation. They were basically advocating for BLM and wokeism and denial of white supremacy. And in their mind, they were sharing the gospel because yeah. in order to be saved, you got to deny those things. That's why... In today's world, we have to use precise biblical language, and it's not enough to say, 
well, share the gospel. You need to explain what the gospel is. You need to explain what is the biblical way of salvation, because there are multitudes upon multitudes of people out there thinking they're sharing the gospel, but they're sharing a false gospel. They're sharing a gospel that has been added to or taken away from. They're not proclaiming the biblical way of salvation. Amen. And I'm sorry, as dogmatic as many of our brothers and sisters are when it comes to doctrine and theology, we have quit. We have got to quit using evangelifish language <laughs> when it comes to evangelism. We need to get back and be precise and be as dogmatic about evangelism and the language of evangelism as we are about sin, because most of the brothers and sisters we know would never call sin an oopsie. Yeah. So quit calling the biblical way of salvation a gospel or calling it share the gospel, because I'm sorry, it's not in Scripture. That's not what Paul did. He proclaimed, he preached. It was a declaration. It was not a, hey, how would you like to try Jesus for a little while? And yeah. more times than not, when someone's sharing, quote-unquote, sharing the gospel, they're inviting somebody to church or they're doing like this gentleman, you know, you got to deny white supremacy in order to be saved. So just keep those things in mind, and I'll let you close out, and I'll just say, like I've tried to remember to say at the end of each show, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, uh, thanks for your patience with us for the last few weeks since we've been gone. Uh, thank you for your patience with this particular episode, actually. Um, it It's one of those things that it's you can spend an entire ministry talking about something like, um, you know, covenantalism or dispensationalism. You, you can literally make it the ministry. Um, we did the, the, the briefest of flybys. And again, those of you who know these, these frameworks better than us, <laughs> please be gentle. What we were hoping to do was just lay that groundwork enough to then to talk about why hyper-dispensationalism is so far out of line. And um, like I say, there's no way to take just... And I know some of my covenantal brethren, you're going to say, oh yeah, that's that's a logical conclusion. I disagree with you. I was in dispensationalism. We never taught this. We never taught this. We never would have believed this. Um, so our hope is, is that what it challenges our listeners this week to do is, like we say... Look back at what you believe and how you got there. Did you draw it out from your con consistent study of the scriptures? Or was it like me? Because that's the church you were in. You've been in a reformed church all your life. You believe in covenantal, uh, a covenantal framework. You've been in a dispensational church your whole life. That's what you believe because you're there. Have you studied it? Have you learned it? What do you understand about it? And how did you get there? And then why? Do you believe in dispensationalism because John MacArthur teaches it? Or do you believe in covenantalism because R.C. Sproul taught it? You know, what, what is it that you, you believe and why? And then, how do you respond in a biblical way within the framework that you understand to somebody who wants to say they're part of that framework, but they are way out in left field? I, th I, I would challenge you that if you meet a hyper-sensationalist, you're going to have to spend a lot of time taking them through the scriptures. And you're going to have to show them over and over again their inconsistencies. And you're going to have to show them that you're not going to come at them and say, you're a heretic, repent. Okay, It's not going to get you anywhere. 
take the time, listen to what they have to say, and work through it. Because I I looked at that comment thread, my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, I've never heard of this in my life, and I'm like, how do I respond to this? Well, and now I understand a little bit better how to do it. Yeah, go ahead, brother. One more thing. Um, I think dealing with a hyper dispensationalist may be more mind wrenching and more of a headache than even dealing with a hyper Calvinist or a hyper Armenian or <laughs> universalist. I mean, this, this is one of those that even now it's still giving me a headache. Yeah. I, it's, it, it is definitely a force feeding of a preconceived notion into the scriptures. I don't believe there's any way you can consistently draw this out of the scriptures. There's just not, there's nothing there that would give you that reasoning short of you have, taken the dispensational view so far and wrenched it out of what it was uh, what it was meant to be which i'm not saying it, it it doesn't have its problems it certainly does you've taken it so far out of place that now you've just went well it's got to be this then no it, it nothing like that close so well, that's one reason at the start i said i can see some truth in both dispensationalism mm-hmm. and covenant theology. Yeah, I can't exactly. see it. I can make a logical conclusion how they came to this point. Yep. When it comes to hyper-dispensationalism, it's like reading fan fiction or something. It is. It really is. It's one of the most bizarre things I've seen. And we've been doing this six and a half years. We've seen some bizarre stuff. Uh, so <laughs> so anyway, let this be, hopefully, as we come back, our, our first week back after a while, um, let this be a challenge to you as you go through this week and you're studying the scriptures and please take time to study the scriptures uh, every single day. Spend time in the word and, and be praying over it and helping asking God to show you what you don't yet understand. Because trust me, you're not done. You got plenty to learn. Um, and then how do I respond when I see something like this? Do I just want to lash out with a, a 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17? It's a it's a perfectly acceptable verse to address it with, but is that really going to solve the problem, or do you need to take take some time and develop this? And and that's what you may have to do. So uh, that's that's our challenge to you with this program this week. We hope it uh, we hope it helps you. Um, thank you for giving us that time that break that we needed to kind of get some <laughs> get life on track. And and even then, we always ask, please be praying for us because, like you and and, and every everyone else, we we face our challenges as well. Uh, illnesses, family issues, job issues, finances. We, we face all the same things you do. Uh, and we get down and we get uh, frustrated and we get um, weak in the faith and so, stuff too. So your prayers, we, we, we definitely covet that. We hope that you, uh, you would help put that, that us, our families, especially our families, they got to put up with us uh, on your prayer list. And, uh, you know, if you have questions, comments, concerns, ideas for the show, hey, we've been at Rich and I were talking about this pre-show. The last several shows we did before we took that break, they were they were like modern time. You know, like what's in the in the topics this week driven. We didn't want to do that going into this year, and and yet there were so many things that developed that were teaching moments that we we found ourselves just continuing to go back to them, and so we really want to. Find those places, those questions that you have, um, issues of scripture, uh, areas of, of encouragement, whatever it is you're looking for. Um, we don't know all the answers. We may or may not be able to address a certain topic because maybe we're knowledgeable in that area, maybe we're not. Uh, maybe it'll take us a while to figure out how to respond to that one. But we still would cover, you know, getting that those kind of emails from you because though and and. and 
I realize saying, hey, contact us on social media, that's the easiest way to get through to us. Here's the problem with social media. Notification now, gone in an instant. Really hard sometimes to, to bookmark all of that into one place to find it. If you guys would really want us to cover something, please email us, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Those emails I can find so much easier. <laughs> Because I've tried doing that bookmarking stuff. I've tried screenshotting stuff. And then it gets lost. And I forget about it. Emails I will always be able to hold on to. And I can go to one place and find them. So if you have some thoughts, email us, please. Uh, but we love hearing from you, even via social media. So please, also, don't 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 think that means we don't want to hear from you there. Just ideas would be really great here on social media. I'm tapping my phone like you can see me doing it. Uh, would be really helpful because that that way we're we're addressing stuff that's helpful to you. And you're not going, well, what thing are they going to pick on they saw on social media this week? So love to hear back from you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, remember to, to sign up on the slavetothekingcom for updates as, as stuff comes in. New programs, maybe you forgot we put one out or we were late and now you know when it came out. Uh, new uh, pod, not podcast, blog articles, uh, all of that stuff. And it's a good way to keep in touch with us or support the program if you so choose. And, and the uh, way that we've been lately, um, it's a good way to know when we actually post a new episode. <laughs> it really is. It really has been. I'm so sorry, folks. All right. Thank you for your time this week, folks. We went much longer than I thought we would, but... It was a good discussion. I think it was helpful, and uh, hopefully you guys benefited. So God bless you guys. Good night. We will see you next time.